witches and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we are talking about The Poison Path Herbal by Kobe Michael. And it's another new book. This book came out in 2021. So still going to say it's a brand new book because it's hasn't been a year since it came out. It came out at the end of 2021, I believe. If it came um, out so during the pandemic, it came out this year in my head. Right? That's how I feel <laughs> like too. Like it's all one year. And this is a book that we've been really excited to read and to talk about. Um, a little bit about Kobe Michael. He's got a website. Check it out. If He's got events. He's got, he sells things. He sells seeds. So if you're somebody who's into this or starting to get into it and you want to know somebody who's reputable, who should I be buying like seeds from or plants from or part? Mm-hmm. This is going to be the person. So anyway, he's a practitioner of occult herbalism and cultivator of a, ah, I can't speak. He's a practitioner of occult herbalism and a cultivator of ethnogenic herbs. He's a writer for the House of Twigs. He has a blog, The Poisoner's Apothecary, and he teaches classes online. So check out The Poisoner's Apothecary if you like what we talk about, I guess, after this book. And that is literally the website, thepoisonersapothecary.com. So yeah, you can access all his stuff there. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of book. It's a lot of book. And you know, we talked about, there was one book that we talked about and we said, hey, if you want to know, and I can't remember what it is now because I have no memory. Um, <laughs> you and me both. But the book that, that we said, if you want to know how which space would write a book or the book that we're looking for, not what we're going to write, but the one we would look for, it would be this book. We just did a podcast Are on a sure book. Are you sure it wasn't the like, This book, book is perfect. Which one? I think it might have been the Caridwin book. Yes, it was. Because we were like, so, ooh, history, ooh, knowledge, ooh, facts. Yeah. I'm going to argue now that I want all my herbal books to be like this. I agree okay. completely. Not that I don't like the herbal books. In fact, I think we discussed an herbal book, season one or season two, and, you know, a book that we like, blah, blah, blah. But there's something about this. And I wasn't sure where he was going to take us, right? Because you're like, okay, so now I'm just going to get, right? I'm thinking other herbal books that I have. I'm thinking of other herbal books that we've read. So I'm taking this when I started reading it and going, oh, now we're just going to get a list of poison herbs and plants and recipes. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It doesn't for me that doesn't work because I will never retain any kind of information. So the yes. herbal books of the past, I love because, hey, I think I need to do something. Oh, I think I want to use, let me go there. Kind of like an encyclopedia, kind of like Googling it, but you're in a, in yes. a book and you're looking for it. This book, I feel like I have an understanding. And here's the thing. He's not talking about every single plant. He says, hey, guys. Yeah. Right? After a little bit of an intro, he's like, I'm going to tell you specifically about this family of herbs. I'm going to break it down for you. And I'm, I'm going to talk about it in a second. But he gives you more than just a list. So that at the end of the book, you feel like, oh, my God, I think I know something. It's not just here are some herbs. You know something. Um, anyway. Well, do you want to start with a quote? Because you always start yes. with a quote. <laughs> yes. Right in the intro. The poison path is a spiritually based practice that explores the esoteric properties of potentially deadly plants. So if you want to know what he's talking about, that's it. I feel like that was a great way to start because yes. that's what the poison path is for him. And it's, I would like to point out, it is very alchemical. 
Um, I don't think we've really talked about alchemy that much. I know I've mentioned it as far as like I've, I did it, but, um, it's a very different mindset from, I think, traditional Wicca and, um, other sort of folk based practices. Alchemy is very scientific. And I mean, that's, it literally became chemistry. Alchemy is the thing that turned into our modern study of chemistry. So some of the things, the way that they are described maybe don't always align with a Wiccan or a neo-pagan understanding of the concepts. But when you understand it in the context of alchemy, it's like, wow, this is, this tracks perfectly. This is honestly a really great primer for somebody who's getting interested in alchemy to understand some of these basic concepts. I felt very uh, nostalgic when I was reading the introduction. Oh, nice. So just to jump in a little bit. So he separates this book into three parts. Part one, he's going to give you the history of the poison path. Part two, it's part herbal compendium, part grimoire. And part three, poison path in practice, strong foundation on which to be on which to begin creating your own herbal formulations. So this is not the type of book where you should just jump to the grimoire do not jump, jump to a bunch of recipes. Do not. And also, I want to have another disclaimer. Because I think with this book, we've got to have a disclaimer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Space Podcast takes no responsibility <laughs> in anything that you do if you buy this book and start to mess around and hurt yourself or someone else. This is a very, very serious thing. I mean, first of all, we should talk about why we decided to go here. But the poison path is not something you do like, oh, this is so cool. I want to work with you know, Wolfsbane. Yeah. Um, which is the worst one to start with because what does he call it? The Queen of Death oh, or the Queen, queen of, of Pain or yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. It was the Queen of something. I have it somewhere in, in, in my notes, but it's later in the book, so I don't have that part of my notes open. Um, don't play with this. Like, really, this is not, you know, we did not get this book and I did not run out to buy a bunch of things to try to put things together. That's not the purpose of this book. I think it's what gets you ready to start thinking about it. And I don't mean Absolutely. you shouldn't work with it because he definitely says he gives you recipes there for you to try. But really listen and read and understand what he's saying. This is not a joke. And one of the things I love about this book, and I know I'm jumping around already, <laughs> but the idea that it's not just a plant, right? Mm-hmm. You're communicating with this living being that is connected to deity that's connected to the spirit world. And you have to meet this plant, not just on the physical realm of here are your seeds, here are your leaves, I'm going to do something, but deal with it on a spiritual level. There's a lot of work that's going to go involved, going to be involved if you're going to work with these plants safely and effectively. So you get the most out of it. It's a relationship you have to form. Just like you form relationships with the gods and all these other things, you got to form these relationships with these plants. So I just want to put that out there. We take no responsibility and we do urge everybody to tread cautiously and seriously. So and maybe I'm that actually, sounds like I'm reprimanding, but... I'm going to reprimand. Um, so there's this concept that has been bastardized from Japanese that is um, one's ikigai. And you'll see it a lot in, like, Bujo communities or, like, um, you know, self-personal uh, development communities. Your ikigai is supposed to be, like, your life's purpose. It's the overlap of all of the things that you're good at. It's what you're meant to do. 
And reading this book really hit me in the ikigai because I feel like for me, it's very much this overlap of like the things that I'm passionate about, gardening, teaching, biochemistry, witchcraft. It all overlaps in the material that we're reading. Um, I have a background in bioorganic chemistry where I specifically studied compounds like these, where I worked in a lab and was doing titrations and doing you know, actual studies on chemicals that are incredibly dangerous. And even with that background, I would not try any of these recipes right now. I do not feel confident enough in my abilities, even with the background that I have, to make these recipes without possibly killing somebody. And I'm not saying that on this podcast to scare anybody. I'm not saying this on this podcast to be like, you shouldn't ever work with the poison path at all. But I am saying it because it, it is incredibly dangerous. A lot of these things, and he talks about it in the book, have been actively used to kill people in the past. It, part of it is like it would be really embarrassing to die because I tried to make a tincture of belladonna and fucking offed myself because I couldn't... Me- but even, you know, sometimes you're baking a cake and you don't, you put in too much baking soda or you put in salt instead of sugar. These mistakes happen and they're not your fault, but this is not the time to be making mistakes. So I strongly suggest read this book to read this book. And if you are the kind of person who, like me, this this hits you really hard and you're like, this is very interesting, I really want to delve into it, do it, but... Do not make these recipes until you are 100% confident in your ability not to kill yourself. So I'm somebody who has worked with different herbs, not growing the plants. I usually buy them and then I do what I'm going to do. Not poison plants, but different plants. And I've delved with some plants that are semi-harmful, and I thought I had everything under control. I thought everything was good. And didn't realize that my little familiar, who's passed, not because of that. <laughs> um, all he did was I had put some herbs down on a table. He beat me to the room by seconds. Mm-hmm. And he was fine. Of course, I took him to emergency. Of course, they did everything they were, they were going to do. And they're like, no, he's going to be totally okay. And of course, they were like, what were you doing with it? I was like making incense. Because what am I going to say? I'm making incense and candles, I said. I was trying to figure out, like, what does a woman say who lives in the suburbs? I mean, I think taking one look at me when I got there, they might have said, yeah, she's making incense, all right, but whatever. This stuff was not necessarily harmful unless ingested. So here's my thing with the poison path. I'm interested in it because I'm interested in, in herbs. I've always been interested in working with plants. These are some of the strongest plants we have throughout time Mm -hmm. okay so i have a lot of respect for things that are um the tried and true the the ones that we use yeah i want to work with them this is step one step two i want to take a class yeah because i think it's important and step three i realize that the minute i bring these things into the home i don't want anybody else in the house until i'm able to lock them up in a separate place from where i keep my regular herbs Mm-hmm. that's the other thing when I decide that I'm going to work with it I don't want anybody else in the house either right once I have been trained on how to do this I want to do this completely 
alone. No distractions, the phone's gonna be off, right? Um, and I'm happy with that. Like I do know this is the first path, the first step I should say in my path with this because I'm very yeah. interested. Um, and I have been for quite some time. And I was very excited this book was coming out because I really wanted to read from from him. And so, yeah, so even somebody, you know, I'm from a different perspective. I just like working with herbs. I'm not bringing any of these plants into my house just yet. My house isn't ready mm-hmm. as far as I am concerned. It's not poison plant ready to bring stuff Absolutely. in. Absolutely. You know, so, and that's fine. I'm excited to just read and keep reading and, you know, following his blog and taking classes. And then, you know, I'll be ready. And then one of the things I want to get is a cabinet. I want the cabinet to be high up. I want to make sure yeah. that it's, and it's locked just in case my husband's cleaning. I don't want him thinking, oh, what's this? And put them with the other herbs. And then now I've killed someone, even though everything's marked. I mean, I mark everything, but still. Yeah. This book is one of those situations where um, it's not gatekeeping. Nobody's gatekeeping. Oh, yeah, no. You can read the Poison Path Herbal. You can get involved with Poison Path oh, yeah. um, practice. But take it seriously when people are saying, be careful with this stuff because you, I, I can't stress. You could literally die. You can literally die. And <laughs> he says people it. around I mean, you can die. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like we're saying this. We read this book and he says it a bunch of different times. Yes. Like you could kill yourself. Yeah. You know, even he's talked about things that he won't do with certain plants. I mean, yeah. like he's an expert. So, yeah, that's the only thing. I guess we're just being overly cautious because we love you guys and, you know. Yeah. Just want to look out for everybody in the community. But, you know, me, I say, yes, everyone should buy the book and everyone should be doing poison plant stuff and we should have a little group, Scorpio's Poison Path group, where we talk about what we've created. Like, not now, like in a year from now or something like that, we can do a little, like, hey, Scorpio, what's going on with the Poison Path group? You know, you're saying it. I'll check in on you. Yeah, I'll I'll ask you. I would totally do this. Yeah, I will totally do this. So when I'm ready, maybe we'll do this. How can you do a group? Facebook. I hate Facebook. I also hate Facebook. Yeah. I know. Maybe I'll have to do that when I'm ready. See how people react. Discord, but I also hate Discord. Yeah, yeah, that would be good too. Because I'm not going to lead it. I just want to be part of it. Like, just, you know, I'll call it my group just so it has a name, but I'm not leading the thing. If you want to be in charge of the Poison Path group. That has Scorpio's name on it. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, we digress. Let's go back into the book. So So let's start with part one. About Saturn, Mercury, and Venus. Yeah. By the way, another thing that he says, here's another little quote. You need knowledge in chemistry, alchemy, herbalism, folklore, and history. Yes. Doesn't mean he wants you to be an expert in everything, but you have to have an understanding of all these things. So now you know what it is is we're going to talk about because... He's talking about all these things. So go ahead. What were we going to say? So I want to talk about Saturn, Mercury, and Venus as the sort of three parts of the path. And he mentions them in the introduction, and he continues to mention them throughout the book. But um, this was one of those moments where I felt really nostalgic for my alchemical practice from from time gone by. Because there's this concept in alchemy called the triprima or the tria prima. And it's the three main chemicals that are used in alchemy um, to try and like turn lead into gold and that sort of stuff. But the three main things are sulfur, salt, and mercury. And so for me, reading about the poison path and attributing these things to Saturn, Venus, and Mercury, I was like, oh, wow, this feels really reminiscent of that. Um, So I bring it up 
first of all, to be like, hey, if you're interested in alchemy, the Triaprima is a great place to start. Um, if you read this book and you're like, I want to know more about the alchemical side of it, that's where I would start my research. But I also really like that he kind of automatically starts you off with, I'm going to talk to you about the Nightshade family and I'm going to talk to you about the Nightshades in the context of these three groups. So the three mm -hmm. sort of ways in which the plant can affect you because it is a really big family. And we'll see as we get into part two about how big it is, but it's a really big family. So being able to like categorize it into those different parts, I think is a really helpful tool. Well, and he does say right off the bat that he can't cover all the alkaloids. There's no way. There's a ton of them. There's so many. Right. So, but the nice thing is, first of all, he says it goes beyond the scope of the book or his expertise. But he does cite at the end of the book a bunch of other books. So if people are reading this and going, you know, but I'm interested in, he's got you in the sense that he's got other books he can recommend. Oh, and he cites them in the book. So in case you're book. thinking, like, why is he only dealing with the Nightshade family? Because he's taking this, he's narrowing it down so he can give you a lot of information about, like you said, this really big group. There are active citations in the book, which we all know yeah. is my favorite thing. It's so nice, especially because, like, there's science in here. You want to be able to go back and double check where that science is coming from. Um, I had mentioned before we started recording, I wanted to tell our audience about another book that I think would pair really well with this. It's mm -hmm. called Wicked Plants by Amy Stewart. And that is more of like a folklore and history book that talks about a lot of the plants that he talks about in here, as well as some other ones, and mentions these are the... Um, these are the chemicals that are in them, and this is how they affect the body, and this is how they've been used. So if you do find that you want to know more about the Nightshade family or you want to know more about poison plants in general, that's a great – it's a short read. It's really easy, and it's a great, like, introductory into other types of plants besides the solan Solanaceae, the Nightshade family. Okay, I was <laughs> – yeah, I was hoping you would say it. I thought you would be able to, you know, because I looked nope. at it and I said, I can't believe I have to say all these words on the podcast because it's like, what? Some of but, them I can okay. do. Like Belladonna I can do. The oh, yeah. the names of the plants I can do. But like Solanaceae. Solanaceae, I think is how you say it. But I don't know. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm all right with that. Um, you know, one of the things that I like that he does, that he does take us back in the history of it, to whether it's Sanskrit, whether it's the Odyssey and the Iliad, mm -hmm. um, the Vishna Kanyas, I love that whole story. That, that just yeah. gripped me. Uh, basically, the poison maidens of India, young women, assassins. But the thing is, supposedly, okay, so the truth was they killed you by, they knew they had knowledge of herbs and they would do things and feed them to you. But the folklore was that they had ingested the plants little by little mm -hmm. so they grew they you know built up an immunity so just touching them would kill you i love that like i the love all those stories he gave us is that are they poisonous then or are they venomous one of them is like you have to get injected and the other one is from contact oh and i never remember the difference i don't know the difference <laughs> But I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, yes. before people start thinking, oh, my God, this is all going to be science. No, there's a lot of story behind it. And not just in history, but also like myths. Like, you know, I mean, to mention the Iliad and the Odyssey, yeah. you're not talking about reality at that point. So it's just how 
magic and poisonous plants have been used medicinally for weapons and of course in magic. So he really takes you throughout, which I think is really interesting because when you're looking at anything that we do, we're looking at it as witches. So whenever you take a step back and go, oh, wow, yeah, and these people have used it and these people have used it and, you know, you go so far back, it's... Yeah. Just, so in the, what is this, part one, basic knowledge for the poison path, he's talking about the alkaloids and specifically the tropane alkaloids of the nightshade family. Mm -hmm. Um, The last one he talks about is solanine, and solanine, I know, because it is present, and he mentions it in the book, in the leaves and stems of the potato plant. And it made me think a really great place to start your poison path work is probably with tomatoes and potatoes. Because both are members of the nightshade family, and yet both are significantly safer for use and consumption, and probably something that you're already eating in your daily life. So if you want to if you want a place to jump in that's not going to kill you, those two are the easiest and safest bet. Yeah, that's true. Tropanes scare me, though, dude. Wow. They really do. Because you could die. You could die. You could straight up die. <laughs> he then talks about entheogens, which I really liked. Um, one, because I didn't realize, and I feel so stupid for this, that entheogen is just the renaming of psychedelics. Yeah. Like, I could have put two and two together using the Greek roots, but I didn't. So I like the idea that, like, this is a field that is now getting more recognition. It's it's something that is allowed to be studied. There used to be bans on studying LSD after, like, MK Ultra and all of that. So the idea that, like, okay, now we can study psychedelics. We can do entheogeno- entheogenology. I'm telling you, these words were going to trip me up. That's why I'm just looking at you going, you go for it. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's, yeah, no, these words are complicated. But I do think he does a really good job of explaining in kind of layman's terms the, the science, right, of the, the alkaloids and also of the entheogens and explaining, like, these are the different ways that we study them and this is how they have been used and why they might still be used. You know, he also, one of the things that I like that he does is he takes us through things that we are familiar with before he gets into unfamiliar territory. Yes. So he talks about the witch's flying ointment. He talks about mandrake, right? Everybody knows mandrake root, you know, and he gives us a little history as to how it was used. He even has like a photograph, not a photograph, it's drawing of a woman holding one up and, you know, some like famous painting or whatever. So like he does a lot of these things so that, before you start feeling really lost with a lot of the technical terms, he'll throw something in where you go, yes, okay, yeah, I do know this, I do know that. And he also gives us a different history as far as the time that these things were done. He comes back to this flying ointment a lot. Yeah, he does. He gives you a recipe. I don't think you should make it, but he gives you a recipe. Look, he tells you you should avoid caffeine, nicotine, greasy foods, and meats for 24 hours ahead of time. Because of the way they might interact with some of the things. So. I guess here's my, this is my only qualm. There's a section at the end in the third part where he he kind of goes over like how to measure things appropriately and like weight ratios and volume ratios and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I think I would have preferred that towards the beginning if you're going to give recipes. Mm. Just because there is always a possibility that someone's going to open to page 33, see the flying ointment and go, well, I'm going to make this. Yeah. And it it is super important to be aware of, like, 
this is what the ratio is, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, it's literally belladonna in the flying ointment. Yeah. It's literally belladonna. <laughs> you know, I say that I wouldn't do these, these recipes, but I have to admit, if there was a recipe for one thing in particular, I would have done it. I wouldn't have even, I would have locked it up in a room. tell us what it is? So he does a, a lot of recipes about, you know, um, having more lucid dreams and, you know. Mm-hmm. I need them to stop. Oh. Okay. This has been going on throughout the last couple of years. We you all know what's happening in the weed. world. What? You need to smoke weed. Wait, to stop dreaming? Yeah. No, that's actually... Hi, I have a biochem degree. Um, weed interrupts your uh, your REM sleep. So if you take uh-huh. it before bed, it'll help you fall asleep, but you won't, you're not supposed to dream or you like won't remember your dreams. Great. This is what I'm going to be doing now. I'm going to be smoking <laughs> pot before I go to sleep. I, I, they, they won't stop. They won't stop. It, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's, I don't, I go to sleep. Yeah. But. On good nights, I go, well, let's see where I'm going to end up today. And on other nights, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. But I don't have a choice because I'm exhausted and I have to go to sleep. They're getting really out of hand. I've tried many things before people say, well, haven't you tried? I've tried different spells. Believe it or not, I've tried different herbs. It's not working. They're really out there. Like, yeah, it's like a movie every night. Um, Anyway, let's go back to the book and let's stop talking about my problems because (laughs) they're not going to go away. (laughs) Well, they might. We'll see. Weed is legal. It is legal, yeah. They, like, just legalized so. it, so. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So let's talk about the beginning of, um, what is it, part two? The beginning the of the, the three ways of the poison path. Yes, because okay. this is exactly where, if you're interested in alchemy, you're going to get hit in the face with that alchemy. Um, he yeah. talks about the Triangle of Solomon. He talks about the Kamea and the Art Magica. And then he talks about the glyphs. And the glyphs are very similar to sigils. Um, but these are to represent and encapsulate the energy of the specific plant or, you know, there's some for the planets. It's not something that is created by the practitioner. It's something that is sort of a fundamental part of the alchemical practice. Um, And like there's glyphs for everything. I actually drew... In my little, I literally took notes for the first time in a separate book instead of in the book for this book. I drew my little glyphs for like the Tria Prima, um, you know, and, and we know glyphs from like looking at your birth chart because there's a glyph for Mercury and a glyph for Jupiter. But there's also throughout the book some really beautiful glyphs for the plants um, and for the planets. He says that it's a great way um, to getting in touch with the spirit of the plant. Yes. You're going to work with this in a magical sense. Using the glyphs will help you to to get there. Yeah. And it's a great place to start so that you don't die. You can't die looking at a glyph. There you go. Or the glyph won't so, kill you. The glyph itself won't kill you now. Yeah. So we've got Mercury, like Gemini said, Mercury, Venus, and Saturn. And he breaks it down. So Mercury... Uh, is a magician, teaches us how to fly, rules writing of spells. Then you've got Venus, teaches us to recognize our inner power and our own triple nature. So it rules in the mixing of potions and ointments, things that bring vision and destroy our enemies. And then you have Saturn, and great father of all, basically. He's like a jack-of-all-trades. He's the father of everything. Uh, And he's the witch father, 
and horn master of the wild places. So he gives us these little backgrounds before he gets deeper into what they are, just so you have a general idea of where he might be going and as he takes them, them all apart. To you in the context of alchemy, because if you work yeah. with Saturn in a traditional Roman or traditional Greek sense, this is not going to resonate the same way. Venus, I mean, he specifically refers to as both the morning and the evening star, right. literally as Lucifera, the feminine counterpoint of Lucifer. So you really have to make sure that you're taking this in the context of alchemy, um, which does have a lot of like Christian sort of imagery wrapped up in it. Um, it, but because of that, it allows I think better alignment with these chemical and um, sort of herbal concepts that he's talking about. Because I don't think when we traditionally think of Saturn or Venus or Mercury in like the Roman God sense that we think of them as each being specifically related to herbal workings. But yeah, alchemically, no. these are very much tied to the chemicals and the plants themselves. And then so we should we right jump into, into the book of Saturn? Yeah. 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 Book of Saturn. Oh. I'm happy I mentioned that there's Christian concepts in there because he dives right in with the mark of Cain. So I wanted to mention, because I have notes in here, because of course I would go to Cain and Abel. And at this point, I think I'd had enough of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I actually wrote down, um, is this needed? As a non-Christian witch, why do I need to know this? Okay, like it was starting to get to me. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, as we're going through different plants and he's talking about the different ways it's been used... Um, in fact, at one point, we're going to talk about Datura, and he talks about how it's native to North, North America, and it's used by shamans, and is used here and used there, and then mm -hmm. let's just take it over to Europe, and I'm just like, okay, cool, but not cool. Like, I, yeah. I get what you're doing, but at some point, I'm like, it's a bit, for me, it got to be a bit much sometimes, some of this mythology. Um it's you you have to really put yourself and this is why I, I said at the beginning yeah. of the podcast it's alchemy yeah and alchemy is Christian even if it's not Christian yeah um I wasn't surprised to see Cain and Abel in the book I was a little I did underline Cain is a patron of the work of the traditional witch and the green sorcerer who specializes in working with plants like mm, that's a lot <laughs> That's like a big assertion because I don't think alchemists were out there being like, ah, yes, I am of Cain's stock. I'm like, no, people didn't claim that. That wasn't like a good thing. But um, yeah, it's, and, and that's, you can't, it's one of the main reasons I don't do alchemy. I didn't stick with alchemy as a path because there is a lot of this Christianizing of these older concepts that gets mixed in with these very useful tools. Um, you're going to, it's, it's in there. It's in there. Well, it's in there. This is how I felt when I read that. And I know we're not on that chapter yet, but I'm going to just jump a little bit to when we get to Venus and they talk about Lilith. And yes. by the time we got there, I thought about Cain because I think Cain is also mentioned at one point there. Um, just to make a comparison really quick in that other chapter, they, they mention him. And then I started thinking about something else and I thought, okay, there's this constant mention of the other. And when you think about a lot of the work that witches do, we're seen as the other, whether we like it or not, we're seen as the other. Mm -hmm. So the idea that 
Lilith became the mother of monsters. It became part of um, this other concept. If you look at it from a Christian point of view, it's the bad other. If we look at it, yeah, and I don't think there's a good way to say, well, you know, well, Cain killed Abel. He's not really bad. So <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. But yes, I think that it could also be the Christian view of it being bad instead of just saying, okay, this is the other path. Okay. And in, in a lot yeah. of ways, if you're doing the poison path when you're thinking about herbals, you're taking the other path. Big capital O there. Yeah. So I, I think that, that when we got to Lilith, I started seeing Cain differently and I went, okay, like I get this in a different context now, aside from the alchemy point, just the whole idea of like, yes. yeah, exactly. We, we always remember that we are dealing with the other and then it seems okay to me. Yeah. Yes. So he talks about the herbs of Saturn, and I just want to say what it is that he does. So first he talks about the physical characteristics, the medicinal properties, the astrological correspondences, and then the alchemical symbolism for all of them. So for yes. each single one, you're going to get all of that. You're going to get facts. You're going to get doses. You're going to get recipes. You're going to get glyphs. He's going to take you that through that with every single of the herbs. Is there one in particular you wanted to talk about when it comes to the herbs of Saturn? You mentioned Belladonna, and that was the first one he spoke about. Belladonna scares the shit out of me. Why? <laughs> because, because, because the things that can kill you scare me. He also talks about fly agaric, the mushroom, mm -hmm. um, later in the book. Scares the shit out of me. Okay. All of the, all of the murder plants scare me. The only ones... They're supposed to. Uh, the only ones that scare me are the ones that he says, don't make an incense out of it. <laughs> like, at that point, I'm like, yeah. how much do I even want to be near it? Like, how much... If I just happen to sniff it as I walk by, is that going to do so? Like, those are the ones that scare me. And again, I need to know more information yeah. about it before I even play with them. Work with them. I shouldn't say um, play. Do you know what I actually would like to talk about? In Saturn, mm -hmm. he talks about the Artemisians, mm -hmm. which is, I feel like, the nice version of Saturn's. The Artemisias, mugwort and wormwood. Yeah. Um, Saturn is, for these plants, it's very, like, um, it's protective, it's grounding, but it's also about, like, control and restriction and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So to see wormwood and mugwort included in Saturn and not in maybe Mercury, which tends to be more mental, I thought was very interesting. Um, and part of it, I think, is because of the, the alkaloid. But I think part of it is also, he talks about there being overlap between Saturn, Venus, and Mercury. And mugwort and wormwood kind of give you that overlap with Saturn and Venus. Mm -hmm. So this kind of dark feminine energy, which I think a lot of witches currently use mugwort at least i think mugwort is pretty ubiquitous in the witch space community um, so it was really interesting to be like okay well actually this might be heavier than we necessarily treat it yeah i have to admit I guess because I don't look at my again i have books i you know they're really just encyclopedias when we got to this part and I saw them, because this is what I was going to talk about with the Book of Saturn. I went, oh, so I've used these. And that kind of surprised me because I was like, how bad are they? And these were not the ones, neither one of these are the ones that uh, my little guy ingested. Although I did know that no one should be ingesting these just like that. Um, yes. But I didn't see them as poisonous, poisonous. Like, I didn't see them as like a plant that would be in here. 
because like you said, everybody yeah. uses them and I've used them. So they're not too plants that I'm scared of. It's just kind of like, yeah, I can use exactly. this. So, yeah, you're right. It's like we haven't, have I not been taking it as seriously as I should have? Yeah, and I think it's important because so many people are already using mugwort to be like, oh, uh, yeah, maybe we should take this slightly more seriously. Um, not that you shouldn't take the Venusian or the mercurial mercurial plants seriously, but putting them in Saturn makes it seem a little more intense. It does. I mean, look, I'm never going to drink mugwort because... Like I just told you about my dream problems. This is not the herb. Yeah, if you want to stop you. remembering your dreams, I kind of stay away from it. But yes, I have used it um, to cleanse things. I have used it for a couple of different things. So, you know, again, and I've used wormwood as well. And then our next section is the Book of Venus. Yes. Which, again, you're going to see some sort of Christianizing of... Venus, um, not to the same degree, but just the, the way in which he writes about it is very alchemical, right? This idea of the witch star or the queen of the Sabbath is very, like, straight from alchemy. And um, he does tell you straight out that Venus is the one that presides over the great witchy herbs, the ones that I guess we yes. consider the most, associate the most with witchcraft. This is also the chapter, like I was mentioning before, where... He talks at great length about Lilith, the dark side yes. of the anima. Um, and that's where, you know, he talked about her being the mother of the other. And that's when I went, oh, what I really liked, and I guess, you know, there is a book on Lilith that I feel like for whatever reason, I've wanted to put on the list for us to read and just we just never get it. We just never do it. But anyway... Mm -hmm. You know, some things that he mentioned here, she is, you know, mother to the other, but, you know, mother to things that are just, you know, gender fluid, powerful individuals, individuals that follow a very indiv individualistic path, right? I'm not going to follow mm -hmm. what everybody's doing. And I thought, God, what a wonderful deity, person, myth, right? Yeah. But of course... He or she is associated, again, with the darkness, with the bad. And I think that's why so many witches are drawn to the poison path. I think that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it. It's like, we are other. I like being other. And there's something about the poison plant that, you know, is other. Um, and, of course, he talks about Datura used. Yes, which, let's talk about Datura. Yeah. Because even though I took notes in my notebook, I'm still turning to the part where... <laughs> It's in the book because I need to be able to look at it. Yeah, I, um, Tatura also scares me. Tatura is so freaking cool as a plant. Um, and I, like, I would read a book just about Tatura. Like, I don't, he gives a good chunk of the book to Tatura and I don't think he even gives enough. Because historically there is so much interesting content, um, you know, he talks about it being used for shamanic rituals. He talks about the different places that it's been used. But, like, holy Christmas, I could just read about Datura all day. Well, because it's been weaponized. I think that's... And so many different cultures have used it as a weapon. Yes. And he goes into it. I mean, he talks about the followers of Kali. He talks about um, zombie powders that have been used. Yes. And, you know, it's... it's um, 
it's interesting because I don't think it's in here unless I, and again, I might be using the Spanish name, but when I saw that about the um, Haitian zombie powder, there is a plant. And in Spanish, they call it burundanga. And it was being used actually in Spain. And supposedly it's like everywhere. Like this is like the kind of plant you could just find growing like a weed. But the thing is, when you, oh, no. yeah, when you crush it into powder and you blow it into somebody's face, it's like you get this zombie, like, like they don't know what has, they've been roofied, basically. And what people were doing is that they were like doing it to people going into the ATM. And then they were taking out money, giving it to those people. And people had no memory that they had been go- gone to the bank, but they would find them on camera. And they said they would look weird. They would just look like they weren't even there. They were just kind of going through the motions like a puppet. And they were handing the money over to these people. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, Datura should scare you. I have to look that up. I have to look up Burundanga and see what it is. For all I know, it is Datura. But a very pretty plant. I, I actually think it's quite beautiful, in fact. And the glyph that he gives to go with it is gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. Like, the glyph makes me want to work with Datura, but knowing about Datura as a plant makes me not want to work with Datura. (laughs) Well, here's something that I really like about it, and it's another little quote. As a visionary plant, it opens the gateway to both the upper and lower realms for us to travel. It helps us process fear and anxiety surrounding death and can be burned to banish malevolent spirits and for breaking hexes. Specifically those that plague the victim in his or her sleep, which I'm starting to wonder if maybe Totoro would help me. This whole episode is going to be about me trying to figure out how to stop the dreams. But I feel like maybe maybe so many of us do fear death. Who doesn't fear death? Like who's sitting here going, yeah, one day I'm going to die. It's going to be pretty cool. Like nobody, right? Uh, I don't know. One day I'm going to die. It's going to be all right. Well, yeah, you say that. I guess I was going to say you say that now because you're young. I mean. You got how many years ahead of you? Like, you don't have to think about death. You're not like, do you know I asked? I think about it all the time. Do you know I asked my grandmother? Oh, no. Yeah, I thought my mother was going to kill me. (laughs) So my grandmother and I, my maternal grandmother and I were very, very close. And one day, we used to watch like soap operas together and stuff. And we're just sitting there one day. And I said to her, Grandma, I'm trying to think of how old she was. She must have been like in her 80s at this point. I said, Grandma, you ever worry about like dying? And my mother heard me. She's like, what are you doing? What kind of question is that? My grandmother went, no. I said, you know, because you're older. Like, do you think about it? I don't know why I'm whispering like that, you know. But I'm like, do you think about it? You know, you're older. Like, no. It's going to happen. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. The only thing that worries me about it is I have a lot of notebooks. And I would like them all to be lit on fire. Oh. That's really it. Like, otherwise, I mean, what? Eh, I'm dead. I'm dead at that point. What can I do about yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. You know? But I would like to not embarrass myself by dying because I worked with a poisonous plant that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> that, that's just... Yeah. Well, I would say... Don't tell anybody. Well, I would say I'd help you with the, with the books, but I'm going to be dead before you, so... Actually, my stuff is going like, to be your if, problem, just so you know. If something happens to me because I am an idiot and I eat belladonna please just tell everybody on the podcast that like i went on a vac i just moved away or some shit (laughs) like we sent her to the farm because i cannot i oh my god in whatever possible hypothetical afterlife i'm gonna be in i don't think i would be able to undead live that down i understand i just don't think i can (laughs) yeah 
here's my thing. I don't even care if that's how I go. Just like, usually when I work with plants, like I'm not all done up. Right? Like, I'm just yeah. wearing whatever. Like, somebody please, like, put a black dress on me before, like, I get carried away. Mm-hmm. Like, just do not let people see me in, like, my well, my little, like, today I'm wearing a little pink uh, sweatshirt with, you know, with... Not to be the worst. It's cobwebs. But, um, like, you poop. You poop when you die. Maybe you poop when you, you die. You shit yourself. No, you don't. Not everybody. Your bowels. Yes, you do. Yeah, your bowels release. Okay, everybody said that. And when I had to put my little guy to sleep, he, his bowels did not do anything. Maybe he had pooped previously because when I had to put my little guy to sleep, he shit all over my sister. <laughs> okay. Let's go back it's to the really book. really funny now. At the moment, it was not funny, but it's really funny now. Going back to the book. Um, yeah. So Datura, really scary, but very interesting. And very interesting the way that the Venusian plants feel less deadly to me. Okay. It's more, I think, about like manipulation. Mm. They're still deadly. Don't don't eat them. But it's they feel like you know belladonna, scary. Yeah. But yarrow, um, datura. I'm turning the pages. These other plants have less intense uses. Like they have more poppy. You can kill yourself on poppy for sure, but it's more likely to give you kind of a high. Yeah, I, I definitely would. Um... I think Datura might be one that I'd want to start working with sooner than some of the others. But Yeah. He also mentions the book. Well, we know which ones I would like to work with. Which one? The the, the entire mercurial plants. Oh, okay, we're going to get... Okay, so let's go to, to them then. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to say. Oh, Vervain. Um, oh, yes. I've worked with that. Another plant that I think everybody uses. I've worked with that a lot, to be honest with you. Um, it's also a plant that is known to, is associated with Caridwin. That's not why I worked with it, but I did know that. Yeah, I've used it a lot. That's all I'm going to say. Because I've definitely used it a lot. I have not, but I do like the description of it as a plant of, like, evasion or, like, obscuring and hiding, Mm -hmm. which is something I want to do, like, a hundred times out of ten. So that might be an herb I start working with. Okay. I will tell you this. Just like a, I don't want to be perceived plant. Vervain is something that is never not in my cabinet. Damn. Yeah. So seeing okay. that here too. Again, um, it just never occurred to me that it, it would be here is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But I get it because if it's a plant about like hiding, that's a type of glamour. Yeah. It's also used in love spells for people who like that. Yeah. You know how we feel about those. But yeah, it's also used for that. <laughs> so, the Book of Mercury, shall we? Ooh, my favorite. Yes, okay. So I, it's very alchemical to start with the discussion of, of Toth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, lo- I was waiting through this whole book for him to mention Hermes Trismegistus, mm-hmm. which is like... There, it's the alchemical Hermes. It's Hermes um, thrice great. Like, of course, we're going to mention him in the book. I can't believe it took until 140 pages in to get there. <laughs> but very much, you know, we, we know what Mercury is. It's very mental. It's all about, you know, a little chaotic, a little, um, a little bit of duality, just lots of energy in that. So I think his, his descriptions of the mythology are pretty consistent with what we expect in a chapter about Mercury. 
I think what scares me the most or what scared me the most when I was reading about uh, Mercury is that it's like, oh, uh, the Mercurian spirits are tricksters, right? Gatekeepers. And mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing because they also, he says they bring new perspective. But anytime I hear trickster anything, I just go, mm, I don't know. Do I want to dip my toe? Oh, and I'm like, yes, yes, please <laughs> send me a trickster. Please and thank you. And you can see it in the herbs that he discusses because I feel like half of these herbs are murder herbs <laughs> and I don't ever want to touch them. And the other half, he talks about parsley. Yeah. Parsley. I was not expecting that. I was like, hell yeah, I can work with parsley immediately. I can do that. Wolfsbane, under no circumstances. Hard pass. Thank you. So Wolfsbane is something that I, I agree. I think that it's it's a scary thing. Yeah. I think probably the scariest thing that he's mentioned in this book was probably that one. Yeah. It's one that everybody knows. But, you know, it is used in dark ritual. In fact, one of the things he says is you have to be careful with it, obviously. But not just because on a physical way, like, yes, it's a trickster. It could turn on you. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you form a relationship with Wolfsbane, it can protect you. Mm -hmm. And... I guess if you ever wondered why it might be important to form relationships with all of these plants is that, you know, what you get out of them is what you put into them. So this idea of forming a relationship with Wolfsbane didn't make it so scary. It's used for dark ritual. It's used to honor Hecate. But yeah, it's... But yeah, don't eat it. Don't eat it. No, I mean, I think this is the one where he said, don't even make it into an incense. Like, you've got to be so super careful around around Wolfsbane. And it's not just one plant. It's a bunch of them. Right? Mm-hmm. 150 species in this genus. It's like, whoa. Which also makes it difficult because if you ever type up Wolfsbane, you're going to get monkshood. Other people are like, no, yeah. that's not uh, Wolfsbane. It's something else. And of course, here he explains it all. He explains where they all are, where they all fall, how, yeah, it's all, they're similar. They're so similar, they're interchangeable. Like, it doesn't even matter. And they do kind of look similar. Only one's purple and yes. the other one's white, he's talking about. So, in either case, this is really... I like the history he gave to this one. Yes. So, I think this is something we all know. Whether you're a witch or not, if you've seen a horror film, you've seen a wolf man picture, you know, you've heard of Wolfsbane. Yeah. Um, I love that immediately after Wolfsbane, he talks about lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the TikToks where the kids make lettuce tea? Oh, yeah. It's supposed to do something. What is it supposed to make you sleepy? It helps you sleep. And what does he say? Wild lettuce is supposed to induce dreams and visionary travel. These children on the TikToks are doing magic and they don't even know Okay, it. well, yeah, but it's not that lettuce. It's not the lettuce. It's not the stuff you're getting. I mean, yes, but also it is. But didn't I hear that that's like you, a you lie? Could. You can't actually, people were like no, actually tried not. it with the lettuce and they did nothing. It's really true? No, it's, I mean... It really is true. Their lettuce actually contains. Um, I don't think it is specifically high. Co- I don't think it's specifically the thing that he's talking about in here, um, because again, that's an alkaloid. Mm-hmm. But you can steep lettuce in hot water and make basically a sedative. Hmm. Yeah, it is a real thing. Wild lettuce just has more alkaloid content because obviously we bred that out when we made regular lettuce so that we would not 
trip while right. we ate it. Which is a shame because I think it would make, think about <laughs> everybody who has a salad at work. Like it would just make the rest of the day go by so much better. It would make my day better, yeah. I said we bring it back. Yeah. I'm in. I hear lettuce tea tastes like shit, so I will never be trying well, it. Well, I was going to say, like, but, lettuce um, is okay, but I can't imagine steeping that and actually wanting... Ugh, no. Yeah, no. Um, I did love his discussion of seeds, pods, and spores. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like when you talk about seeds and, like, pods and stuff, I would think that that would be Venusian because it's about reproduction. Mm. But I totally understand this idea of them being like, well, they're, they're very tiny and they can travel all over the place. Like, yeah, that's very Mercury. Um, he even gives you <laughs> these seeds of Discord powder, which is made out of a bunch of different seeds. Don't make it. It's got wolfbane seeds in it. But I would like to keep a bag of celery seeds on me at all times and just chuck them at people because he... <laughs> The book describes celery seeds as for distraction. So I just want to use them like a smoke bomb. <laughs> like, keep celery seeds in my pocket and just be like, poof, I'm out of here. All right. I'm going to get you a big bag of it. You're going to forget. By the time your birthday rolls no, around, honestly, you're going to forget. I'm just going to give you a big bag of, uh, yeah, celery I would love seeds. That. Um, he talks about arcane objects, magical catalysts. Yes. Which I wasn't expecting. I have to be honest, that kind of threw me. For a bit, because I was like, wait, what? But I understand the whole idea of if we're going to look at mercury, right? You want to maybe use other things mm-hmm. besides these herbs to really bring in the energy and to do what you have to do. So I thought that was really smart to have that in there. Yeah. He talks about other magical plants. Which some of them are horrifying. Some of them are not. Well, I mean, people have talks been about using tobacco. slippery elm people use when they have a sore throat. Okay, I'm white. So no, they don't. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there goes that. My people don't use herbs. <laughs> they take Tylenol out of the cabinet. And no, but if you... We you... don't have a culture. We've talked about this. Okay. I... Okay, I've been known to... You can use slippery elm. All right. Uh, maybe not the same one he's talking about in the book. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's... I've always just called it slippery elm. I thought that's what it was. So, anyway. Then he talks about... Now we get into extraction methods. We get into weights and measurement. Right? What you need to do. So, yes. you know, I think if you haven't done this, I would recommend trying it with things that, like, not with belladonna tea. Maybe that's not the first thing I would make. Yeah. Maybe I would try with other herbs first. And then once you feel like you've got the hang of it, then I think you can jump in. Yeah, I think parsley is a great place to start. Parsley yeah. feels incredibly safe. Well, that's what I'm saying. Um, he does include... It's all the way at the end at page 210 uh, at some descriptions about antidotes, which is, you know, very helpful. Yeah. But also you should know your poison control uh, phone number and you should probably just just be safe. Maybe, honestly, you said do it alone. Maybe don't do it alone. (laughs) Maybe have somebody in the house around just like if you drop... Somebody hears you, you know? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not doing anything anytime soon. But anyway, then he talks about how to actually grow the plants. So if you feel like you don't just want to buy them and work with them, you want to actually go through the process of harvesting them and all that, he talks to you about that as well. Which, again, I would just say, think about any animals that might be in 
in your property, including pets and familiars. Think about if you have any children running around. You know, kids sometimes will just say this is pretty and just stick it in their mouth. So, you know, just think about mm-hmm. all that stuff. And if you're like, okay, I'm good, then by all means, I mean, if there's something you want to do and it's not going to kill you to smell it, then yeah. Just, this is one of those books where when we say do the work, we really mean it. We really mean it. <laughs> but this book is just, it's so good. I, I don't know what else to say about this book. I think that if you have been curious about the poison path and poison herbs, this is a fantastic book to pick up. And then, you know, Gemini mentioned another book as well. I don't have that book. I'm going to pick that up. I think it's a great place to start. And I think going on his blog, going on the, what was it again? The Poison Apothecary. I've been on it, but it's like my computer already knows. I just yes, type in a couple of letters and it takes apothecary. me Apothecary. You know, you just... The Poisoner's Apothecary. The com. You know, go on there, check out his wares, check out his blog. Um, I know he has classes from time to time if you're interested in it. I, you know, he's somebody that I would like to learn from. I don't know, you know... Uh, a lot of things have gone online. And on the one hand, I think they're great. On the other hand, I need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to actually be there or have materials in front of me and watch somebody and talk to them while I'm doing it. So I don't know if that's how he does his classes. I know that I miss that when it comes to herbs. If I'm getting my hands dirty, I want to yeah. get my hands dirty. Like I don't, it's not a theoretical class i want to be able to do stuff with somebody who's knowledgeable about these things so they can say to me like yeah you're doing it wrong so but still you know check them out i I give this book a two thumbs up loved it yeah it's it's a really good book it's one of those books where and i think we said this off the podcast that we kind of want to do a reread yeah because reading it for the podcast and reading it for our own practices is sometimes different styles of reading um I might, you know, try to reincorporate some alchemy, which I haven't done for 10 years. But definitely, definitely read the book. Definitely read the book. I will not encourage anyone to do anything further than that. But you should definitely read the book. Yeah. Another winner. This whole year, I have just felt like... I know. Killing it. I'm excited. But it is true. We were talking about this off the podcast the way we read, at least the way I read, when I'm reading for the podcast, I'm very conscious of the fact that I want to get to certain points so that people can get a good feel of what this book is about. So that you can decide whether yeah. you want to read it or not. Maybe you're listening to us and going, eh, nah, that's not me. So I want to be able to make sure that I get certain points across for you. How I read for me is coming from a point of just me. I, I've worked with herbs. I want to work with different herbs and I want to learn more about them. I'm not going to take the same type of notes. So, yeah, I, I feel like even though I read this book, I feel like I haven't actually read it the way I would like to. So it's definitely a book that I'm going to go back and reread certain sections of. And I did highlight certain things. And those highlights were things that I know I want for me. So I'll go back yeah. and write in the book and take other notes and highlight stuff. I think it's a very useful, it's a practical book, even though I know we talked a lot about the history of things and the mythology of different things and how these things connect to other things. It's still a very, very practical book. You definitely can work from it if you felt comfortable enough after reading it. In the same way that I think the Caridwin book was written perfectly to be functional, to be usable, I feel the same way about this because even even if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to listen to everything Gemini says and I'm not going to do any of these things and I'm not going to try any of the recipes 
there's still actionable steps in this book. There's still content that you're learning that can grow and change and modify your path, even if you're not doing the recipes. And I think that the Caridwin book had the same kind of vibe where it's like, yeah, there's a ton of history. There's a ton of mythology, a ton of information. There's even some chemistry, which I loved, but it's all useful. It's not just being told to you for the sake of being told to you. It's being told to you in a way that can literally be incorporated into what you already do. And just to jump off of that, because I agree with you, just like Carolyn, maybe you're not planning on following her. And maybe you're like, you know what? I do other things. Herbs, not my thing. But you're going to recognize a lot of the, the players let's say, right? Yes. In Wicca, or if you're Hellenic, you're going to recognize players, or if you're another, you know, tradition, you're going to recognize different things. It'll give you another perspective. It'll give you a way to understand how other people, people who are herbalists, work with the same energies that you're working with, but in a completely different way. So I would say, even if you're not interested in herbalism, this is also a good book because it's not just a how-to and a recipe book because it's got mythology. Yes. And I think that every witch will benefit from reading this, whether they want to work with herbs or they ever want to work with poison plants or like me, who thought I really wasn't working with poison plants. And then I go, oh, hi, how are you? I know you, right? Surprise. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 10 out of 10. Would recommend. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you've, every book you've picked so far has been fantastic. Um, of course, we want to hear from you guys, especially if you're working with Poisonous Oh, plants. yeah, please. Um, would love to know how you got involved. Um, how do you do the thing? Tell us everything. We're very nosy and excited. You can reach out to us on Instagram. We are at witchspaceco. You can also email us at witchspaceco at gmail.com. And we would really love to hear from you because you guys are amazing and you make doing this podcast totally worthwhile. So big thanks to you. Big thanks to Kano and Moore for our amazing intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. Mm -hmm.